If you would, let's pray together, but let's do this first. If you're here and you would say that we do truly want to build a spiritual legacy, one that lasts far beyond our years, would you join me in declaring what Joshua did as he began to lead the people of Israel forward in a day and age where they were contemplating and even in their culture serving many different gods, some of their forefathers, some of which the land they inhabited, Joshua stood. He said, something's got to change. Something's got to be different. And he didn't start at the government level. He didn't start in schools or anywhere else. He said, it's got to start in our homes. And so he declared these words in Joshua 24, 15. If you're here and you would say, I'm willing to declare these same words for my family, then uh, I would encourage you to join with me now. Joshua 24, verse 15. I'll begin us. Choose this day. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we need you now. And Father, we declare that your word has all the answers we need. And yet we oftentimes find ourselves searching for other truths. And so, Father, I pray that you would forgive us. uh, But also, Lord, awaken our hearts. Give us a deep longing in our soul to not only love you, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. But Lord, help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Father, I pray that beyond, before we go beyond our own walls to our next door neighbor or um, to the mission trip in Uganda or Costa Rica or Mexico, may we not miss the first priority of our home. And so, Father, I pray that today as we speak about the home and we speak about things that are relevant to our lives, we ask for your wisdom and your grace and your discernment. And Father, most of all, we pray that where there is guilt for things that we have done or not done, for that matter, I pray you would bring forgiveness and reconciliation. Father, when there is fear, I pray, God, you would bring a sense of peace. And Father, I pray that as we speak today and we we have questions and we lack wisdom, I pray that we would take hold of James 1, 5, that anyone who asks for wisdom, Lord, you'll give it generously. And so give us wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's kind of been the foundational piece the last handful of weeks. And we're going to kind of wrap up with this passage um, today, and then we're going to move beyond that in the next few weeks But today we're going to have an emphasis on the last set of verses in this text. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5, it says, You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And so we talked about the last few weeks this, that one, there's a problem. There's an epidemic in our culture where we're not building strong relationships and we do not see the world through a biblical lens. That means we don't have a biblical worldview. Our teenagers are growing up and they're not owning their faith, mostly because parents have not given them a strong faith to own. And we talked about last week that we can't give them something we don't possess ourselves. And the reality in our culture is right now, most of us that are in the millennial age, that means if you were born from 1980 to about 2000, which is most of us adults who are filling this church up, these kids' ministries, our nurseries, etc., we don't actually possess a strong faith of our own. And the reason why is because our parents didn't either, and 
unfortunately, we don't have much to pass on, but that's what we're hoping to change, right? That's what we're here for. That's why we're getting fit to fight, because we say no more. No more are we going to continue in this same perpetual cycle, the same journey of raising up kids in the church, telling them, hey, don't run in there. No, you can't scream in the church. No, you cannot wear that to church. And we're giving them more things that they, what, shouldn't do than things that they should actually do. And that is to know the word, to know the Lord, to know pivotal answers on pivotal questions. And unfortunately, we haven't done that. And so the reason why is because we haven't possessed a good worldview ourselves, but that's going to change. And so as a result of verses four, five, and six, we know that in order to do seven, eight, and nine, then we have to have the answers to verses four, five, and six. Understand? Like that's so crucial in this text. Like I've read this text over and over and over again in my life. And I've done it again and again and again in the middle of this series as I've prepped. And what I've come to the conclusion is, is that if I don't love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, then my children won't either. And moreover, if I don't do the things that God's commanded me to do, my children won't do those either. And so there's no, there's no point in even continuing in this series or even for you and your parenting towards spiritual champions if you will not embrace verse 4, 5, and 6. But as you embrace four, five, and six in your own faith, then you can begin to impart seven, eight, and nine to your children. And that is this. You should teach them diligently to your children. That is the things that God's commanded you. Teach them to your children. You should talk about, talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as a frontless between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And so these are the things that we are to be doing. Now I got a question for you and it's one that many of you may not want to answer, but I, I'm, I'm going to start out with an easy one first, okay? So whether you're here in Will's Point or if you're in Edgewood, okay, I'm, I'm watching you too and I've got people there to watch you. Um, how many of you in here at one point in time in the journey, okay, you may be a grandparent now, but you have been a parent or you are a parent, okay? Raise your hands. Okay, you got me? Like, hey, keep them raised up. Hi, hi, hi. Awesome. There you go. Good. A large majority of us. Good deal. Awesome. Okay, you can put your hands up. Now, let me ask you this second question. How many of you as grandparents or even parents now are pleased at the job you've done? Either the job you did or the job that you've done. Raise your hands. So is that the reality? So the reality is, is that not many of us are all that pleased with the job we've done. Well, um, I'm a research junkie, okay? I, I spend hours and hours and hours looking at research, reading books. Typically, I have five or six books going at one time. And so as I've gone through this series, um, I've come up with some more research that Barna came up with a handful of years ago. And he basically, he polled parents, believers and non-believers alike. And he, he did all 48 continental states. And he asked a couple of questions. One of the questions is, is what characteristics do you need to make a successful parenting strategy? 
And so I'm just going to rattle these off for the sake of time. 36% said that they should, should have patience. That was the highest out of anything, 36% patience. 32% said that they should demonstrate love. That was indispensable. 22% uh, as it begins to drop, say enforcing discipline is incredibly crucial. 20% two in every 10 parents surveyed said that there was some sort of significant faith commitment that should be in place. 17% said good communication skills. 14% said being compassionate. 12% said know how to listen to your children. 9% said be encouraging and edify them. 9% um, talked about intelligence and being intelligent. Uh, 8% said having substantial emotional strength. 8% said making consistent choices over and over again. 7% said have a clear philosophy. 6% said have a plan and set goals. 6% have a plan and set goals, and 4% in all of their parenting said prayer should be essential. Now, if that's not alarming, I don't know what is, but I'm going to show you more alarming. Here we go. You ready? Desirable outcomes of parents. So these are the characteristics that you heard that were needed. Now, let me show you the desirable outcome. The number one top overarching theme and the top rated outcome of all parents surveyed was 39% believed that to be a great parent, their children should possess a good education. 24% said that their children should feel loved. 22% said that they should have a meaningful relationship with Jesus. 16% said, 16 said they hoped that their children would feel secure. 14% said some sort of uh, spiritual foundation. 14% said shelter, food, and necessities. 10% wanted their children to be happy. 9% desired uh, for their children to belong to some sort of connections or have some friendships, personal meaning. And 4% said that moral values ought to be important. And so the overarching theme of parents today is simply this, is that if I can get my children through school and I can get them across the stage, then I've been successful. Well, in that survey, there were four questions that were basically asked. And as parents take parenting strategies, they asked these four questions. One of them was, do you take a pick your fights approach or do you decide that we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about every single issue? Now, question, how many of you in this room and in Edgewood would say, I take a pick your fights approach, meaning we're not going to talk about everything. We're going to talk about the main things. How many of you would say that's probably us? Don't lie. Go ahead and raise your hands. Okay. Okay. 77% of the people surveyed said, we take a pick your fights approach. 13% said we talk about every issue and we interact on each and every one of those. Now, another question was, is, are there moral absolutes that must be obeyed? So meaning, are there concrete things, rules and moral values that we live and we teach? So let me ask you this question, full of uh, audience participation today. How many of you in here would say, I believe it's absolutely essential for there to be some absolute moral values? That means there's right and wrong, and it's very clear there's no questions about it. How many of you would say that? Okay, so 43% of the people surveyed said there are some moral values that should be taught. Some is the actual word used. 45% said we do not teach moral values or absolutes because we don't believe in them. So one out of every two parents surveyed said we don't believe in moral absolutes. There is not a clear black and white 
this is right, this is wrong, this is what we should do, this is what we shouldn't do. The third question is, do you have strict rules when it comes to media limitations in the home? Do you limit the amount of media? Now, let me ask you a question. Parents in here, okay, we're in church, and so you can make yourself look good. Okay, that's the intent, right? That's what we've always gone to church for. Um, So if you're here and you say, we strictly limit media in our home, or we did at the time, raise your hand. Okay, here we go. Awesome. Okay, look, there's some honesty happening. 56% said we give some general guidelines about media, whereas 36% we strictly monitor it. We, we do not allow them to watch certain shows. We don't allow them to have their cell phone beyond a certain time. There's check-in station for their cell phone at night, etc. 36%. And then here's the last one. How do parents today define whether or not they've raised successful kids? Now, this is where I fell out of my chair. Literally. 62% define success based off of the effort they put in, regardless of how their children turned out. And 28% said, we define success by the fruit we've produced. So for instance, gardening's coming around. What makes you a good farmer is how hard you worked at planting the crop, not how much you produced at the end of the season. And almost seven in 10 parents would say that was our intent. We worked hard. We did the best we could with what we had. And that's how they define it. Now, as a result of all this survey and all these statistics, which if you want, we'll put them up online for you. Right, Mark? We'll do that. Um, We'll put this up online for you so that you have all the numbers right there in front of your eyes. The two startling findings in this group of of information was number one, that Christian parents did not take a parenting strategy that was any different than their unchurched friends. So Christian parents, they're approaching parenting the same way as everyone else. You understand? The second and most startling finding in all the research, and to me as well, is that only 30%, three out of 10 parents indicated that one of their most influential outcomes, important outcomes of their child rearing days was to lead their child to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And these are born again, Christian parents. So out of born again, Christian parents surveyed three out of 10 indicated that one of the milestones for their child was to lead them to faith in Jesus. And so the question is, is should this alarm us? I think it should. And, and here's what George Barna, the guy who does all the work for me to read. He says, we know that parents still have a huge influence on the choices that their children make. And we also know that most people, most people, children either accept Christ when they are very young or they don't do it at all. Really, truly, the window for you and I to lead our children to faith in Christ is 13 and under. Character formation is actually developed within the first five years of your child's life. And so they'll make a decision on faith 
and Jesus by the time they're 12 or 13. Now, let me ask you a question. Are there some exceptions to the rule? Yes, I look in this room and I see people in this very room that they came to faith in Jesus when they were 60 years old or when they were 45 years old or when they were 38 years old or when they were 21 years old. And we praise God for that. But I'll tell you, that's not the norm. That's not the, that's not the, the norm in our society. But he says, if you don't come to faith when you're young, you possibly want it all. Then he goes on and he says this, the fact that most Christian parents overlook the critical responsibility of leading their child to the Lord is one of the biggest challenges to the Christian church. Now look at Deuteronomy 6. We just read it again, but let's look at it. Like, just look at it from a, a fresh perspective. You, you see what our culture's doing. You see what many church people have been doing for, for years. Let's look at it with a fresh lens. Let's look at it a little differently. You shall teach them diligently to your children. I don't know about what you think the word diligently to your children is, but I have, I have an idea of diligently. It means that it's, it's crucial. It means that it is a part of what we do. It's diligence. It's to talk to them when they sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, when you go to soccer games, when you're sitting at Starbucks. Faith formation is a part of our life. It's not something we do one hour a week. It's not dropping your kids off at our student ministry. It's not hoping that our kids ministry will break through with them on something you won't. Time and time and time again, I'm asked, Brandon, would you mind sitting down with my 14-year-old daughter and just talking about some faith formation issues and some things that, that she should do? And I'm like, I don't know what's more uncomfortable, me sitting down with your daughter or your daughter sitting down with me. Because there's nothing in my mind that comes across my heart or my mind that says I'm the most adequate to talk to a 14-year-old daughter. You are, you are, you are the critical piece to this puzzle. Parents are the critical piece to this puzzle. And it's what you do with the time that matters. In verse eight, it then says, you shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Your home ought to be a place where your children know we are serious about getting fit to fight and we're serious about honoring the Lord. This last week, I mean, truly, probably as grieved as I've ever been in the history of our church over this particular message. Because to be very honest with you, there's not four easy answers or four easy solutions and voila, you produce a spiritual champion. And so I just keep coming back to the text. And one other text that I come to among many others, because our Bible is full of parenting techniques and strategies. It's full of different promises, but I came to Ephesians 6 and it's very similar to this verses one through four. It's speaking about relationships in Ephesians five. It talks about the marriage relationship. After this, it's going to talk about a servant master relationship, but look at verse one, two, three, and four. It says, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. He's speaking literally of the Ten Commandments. And he's speaking about um, two references in the Old Testament, one of them being Exodus chapter 20. 
that what? To honor your father and mother is something that God says is so important. I'm even going to tie a promise to it. And the promise is that what? You'll live a long life in the land. It means I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you because of your obedience. Now, we live in a day and age where we struggle to get our kids to do anything, to take out the trash, to listen to us when we say, put your cell phones up in a place where we'd like to. And we think that we're actually doing okay. But the bottom line is, is that they're not being obedient. We're not oftentimes enforcing that either. But verse three, then it says, as you honor your father and father and mother, this is the first command with the promise that it may go well with you in the land. Look what it says to fathers. Not that mothers don't do this because mothers can, but fathers, we have the more typical struggle with this. And that is fathers don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And so as I contemplated this message, I, I was talking to Kelly and we had some dialogue this week and, and about, okay, what is truly our plan? What is, you know, because obviously we, we love the Lord. We obviously, um, we believe that faith formation is important in the home. We've struggled with many issues in terms of schooling options, um, private school, public school, homeschool. Although we have right now a kindergartner in public school, I think we're still very torn on the issue. Uh, we struggle mightily with sports. Uh, we, we've let uh, Brady play basketball, but um, we also are struggling with how much do we pursue this and how intense do we go. And so we've decided that after basketball, we're done for sports for another season. And the reason why is because we see how it affects our time as a family. And our time is limited with my schedule and, and then just with Brady's schedule at school. It's hard to get us all together at once. And so here's where I'm basically going with this. Um, instead of me just telling you what I think you should do, I'm going to tell you what we're doing. I'm going to be as practical as I can possibly be at what we're tackling in our home. And it's going to just, it's kind of be off the cuff in a sense. Um, meaning that wherever this goes, I'm just going to trust God wants us to go there. But we have four strategies. We have four strategies in which will be posted on our fridge as a reminder. Two of these strategies I think are absolutely no brainers. I think they come very easily from a text in Deuteronomy chapter six and also in Ephesians chapter six, among many other places. And so the very first thing for me and Kelly the number one priority for us as parents is to facilitate a conversation with Jesus. It is the number one priority. A connection with Jesus is the number one priority. And the reason why is this. Many of our teens are leaving the church, but 70% of the teens that still remain in the church after the high school days, 70% of them would say, that they hear from Jesus on a daily basis. It means that they have a personal relationship with him and they hear him. He governs and instructs their lives. Now that's only among the church, the, the teens that have stayed within the church, which most of them haven't, but the core determination, the factor is a connection with Jesus. Matter of fact, Proverbs 22, six says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it, right? You've heard it. And let me just explain something to you real quickly. Proverbs 22.6 is not a promise. It's a proverb. 
I've had so many parents say, well, Brandy, I, I just I raised my, my children in the church, and man, I, I just think I did as good of a job as I could. And listen, this isn't a promise. This is Solomon saying, hey, this is a proverb, meaning that it, the likelihood of it happening is very good. But the key is, is faith formation in the early years. And so our primary responsibility as parents, the primary pursuit for me and Kelly is this. Give our children every opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ. And I'm not speaking at the church. Matter of fact, we do not see our church as the primary vehicle of raising our children. Do you understand? And so while I am so grateful for the hour that our kids are going to be spending in our kids' ministry, I know that that is merely one step in a myriad of process. That it is one conversation piece, one different voice among the voices that matter most, and that's me and Kelly. That if Kelly and I aren't demonstrating this, then it's not going to happen. And so we know that it is more important than my work. It's more important than me serving families. It is more important than our church and its growth. It is more important than football, money, success, promotion, or for that matter, their academic success. The very first semester, I'll tell you just very honestly, we really had a struggle with um, something that happened within Brady's kindergarten. And, and really, here's what it was. Brady got a C. Yes, he got a C. He gets that from his daddy, okay? Um, and I remember coming into the house and we were speaking about it. And Kelly, of course, I mean, she's, she's just in tears. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? You know, like, you know, he's like, he got a 79. And I'm like, oh, no. And she's like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, because in the end of days, does it matter? I'm like, Kelly, do you believe that Brady's trying with all of his heart? Yes. I said, are we aware that he has a learning struggle right now with phonetics? That he does not learn language based off of phonetics as well he does, as he does whole language? Like, you know that? Yes. I said, well, what if we just give it some time and we just know that we're not going to mention this. We're going to continue in our, our continual cycle and schedule, knowing this, that God wired Brady specifically as a wonderful creation. And though he may have some learning challenges right now, we know that God has a purpose and a plan. And Brady may make C's the rest of his life, but we're not going to coach a grade. We're going to coach effort and character. And we're going to trust that in that process, everything else will fall in place. And so we had to remember in that setting, in that moment, that academics actually is not the most important thing, that knowing who God said he was is the most important thing. And I think there's so many times in our life that we forget that, that we want our kids to keep up with everyone else and we want them to be successful. And of course, honestly, who wants their children to make C's all their life? No one. But in reality, if that's what happens, it does not lessen who God says that they are. And so we should coach them to who God says they are and not who society says they should be. 
And so we stayed, stayed steadfast with our strategy. The next cycle, it was all A's all the way across the board. He had caught up with phonetic learning and language. And the bottom line, it had nothing to do with him being a slow learner or him not being smart and intelligent. It had everything to do with what? He was just getting started. He was a kindergartner. Shocked by school and a new schedule, a new routine. And we just trusted, you know what? We're going to facilitate a connection with Jesus over all else. And I'll tell you, this is probably going to be the thing that as parents, if you embrace this strategy, that will bring you more ridicule than anything else. And the reason why is it's going to bring ridicule from two places. Number one, from our friends. And number two, in our own house. You go, what? Why in our own house? Because as we enforce certain things in our house that other parents don't, what is the overarching theme? Well, they get to do it. Well, why can't I? And we are fully prepared that that is not only going to happen in our home, but it's going to be very soon. We're also fully prepared to embrace the idea of spiritual formation above all else. And so that means that you will not see our kids on every soccer field. It means that our kids will not be as good at baseball. It means that our kids will probably not be as good at academics, and that's not going to be our pursuit. Our number one pursuit in our house is Jesus. Why do I take that stance? Because as a pastor, I've, I've seen very few pastors that I've ever worked with that took that stance. And so I'll tell you that I don't know what that looks like for us, but I can tell you this, it's not going to be easy. The second thing is, is that we're going to enact, based off of this, purposeful discipline. There is discipline in our house. And when I say purposeful discipline, I'm speaking about biblical discipline. Proverbs 29, Proverbs 13, Proverbs 15, make them very clear for you in case you wonder. Here they are. Discipline your son. He will give you rest. He will give you delight to your heart. You want an obedient child when they're 18? Well, you better start when they're three. You'd be surprised at how many parents are frustrated and they're pulling out their hair when they're 18 or 21. And the bottom line is, is they, they acted like a rat when they were three. Now, I'm not telling you that my kids will not occasionally stumble or act the, the ways they shouldn't because they're kids and that is going to happen very likely. But it's not the, it's not the question on how are kids going to act because we know how they're going to act. The, the better question is, how are you going to respond in parent when your kids act a certain way? Do you understand? See, faith formation is not in the hands of your three-year-old. Faith formation in the hands of how your parents respond. And so it's all up to you. And so if we enact purposeful discipline, it means we're going to do that, trusting that one day they're going to be a blessing to us. I know it's going to be a while, right? I mean, right now, all I see is more discipline. And I am in the stage right now that we're in the directing stage, some of you are in a coaching stage. Some of you are in a mentoring type of stage where you can say, hey, this is how you should do it. Watch me and I'll show you. There are some of you that you're in a, hey, we're going to let you do it and we're going to watch you and, and we're going to correct you. We're not in that stage. We're in a directing stage. Don't touch that. I said that was hot. I said, don't open that fridge. I said, we're not going to eat that yet. I said, don't take a bite of that until we pray. I said, no, you're not getting in the bath. Your sister's getting a bath. Well, I don't want a bath. No, I said, no. And so that's our whole life. <laughs> so you wonder what happens when I get home, and you oftentimes wonder why I, I stay at work 30 minutes longer. 
but our thought is Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but whoever loves him is, is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 15, 29, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. The rod and reproof. And so that's our thought. Sometimes I have to bring the rod. Last night, I had to bring the rod. I said to one of our children, please do not get out of bed. We are going to sleep. Ten minutes later, he got out of bed. Ten minutes later, he got the rod. A few seconds later, he got reproof. Reproof. It's the why. It's the why that I have to do this because I love you so much. But it's also the why that you're not going to get out of bed three minutes from now. And that's one area that I remember growing up that my mom did very well, and she counted. Even in college, my brother and I were kind of wrestling in the floor in our home, and she said, I want you to stop doing this. I mean, we're two grown men, and we're like, what are you going to do? <laughs> She's a little bitty lady, you know? And all of a sudden, she goes, one, and we, <laughs> we split. <clears throat> One thing that we have talked about, not because that, that is wrong, but one thing that we talked about this week is if our children are going to listen to us, why aren't they listening the first time? Why is it that we're actually having to count to three? And so we don't count. If I ask you to do it, I would like it to be done. Now, it's very hard because there are sometimes it doesn't get done. And there are some times in there that you need to display the most beautiful picture of God and his salvation, and that is grace. And you need wisdom to, to know when to do that and when not to do it. But we don't bribe and we don't count. Discipline, you bring the rod and then you bring reproof. Hebrews 12, we know that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, right? Yes, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. And so we discipline well. So those are the two that we know we've got to do, right? Like the, you listen to those and you go, oh, that makes total sense. Give meaningful connection to Jesus and hey, purposeful discipline. I think all of us in here would say we've already failed at those two, but we can become more strategic at it. Okay, great. No problem. But there's two more that I think are so crucial to the development of our children and to my children. One of them is to emulate meaningful relationships. I want, I want our children to know the importance of community. It is not uncommon for them to see us have a couple at our house or a single mom at our house. It is not unusual for them to join us as we eat dinner and then for us to talk about spiritual matters after that. It is not unusual for my children to see me and a handful of men working together and praying together. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Proverbs 27, 17, So as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I want my boys to know that they don't have to have a lot of friends, but they need to have a handful of really good friends. That our goal is not to have as many likes on Facebook as the next person. Our goal is not to look at our friends list and be enamored by it. Our goal is not to become narcissistic because people like our post or because we do a selfie better than anyone else. 
Our goal is to love Jesus with all of our heart, to give the rod and reproof, and then not only that, to emulate really, really good relationships. I can't be friends with everybody. That's the reality. But I can have a, so a solid group of friends, people who will hold me accountable, who ask me the right questions, who will pray for me, encourage me. And even when I don't act or treat my wife with respect and dignity that they would say, hey, man, you missed the mark there. Or in that case, as a pastor, when I fail to do the very things I'm telling you that I'm going to do today, that someone would come and gently say to me, listen to me, I'm going to bear this with you. I love you too much to let you continue this downward spiral. I think you're too busy. I think your kids are in too many things. Someone's got to tell me that. And there are a handful of people that can. And the fourth one is this, to provide cultural discernment. What in the world does that mean? Right? You, you look at that and I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Well, my wife didn't either when I brought it up. But here's what it is. You cannot give your children something you don't possess yourself. And do you, so, do you know what I'm looking for in the culture? I'm looking for things in the culture that challenge my faith. And I want to make sure that my children are ready for them. And so it's providing cultural discernment. It is truly a biblical worldview. Understand? Disney said this. The Bible says this. We were watching the other day and something came across the commercial and the commercial did this and the Bible says this. Dad, my friend told me the other day at school. Well, your friend said this and the Bible says this. It's a spiritual worldview. So meaning this, in this book, which we have a handful of copies from about a year ago, we bought about 20 of them and about eight of them were picked up. If you want to raise successful children, you will buy this book and pick it up. $5 out there. I don't care. It doesn't, I mean, I'm not trying to gain anything. We're not either. There's about six books or seven books out there. If you want them, I would get it. It is packed, packed, packed full of, of, of not only data, but the data is based off of spiritual champions, not theoretical, the, the, uh, radical, uh, plots or advances, not some hypothetical situation, but spiritual champions. And here's what it was. Their worldview, their faith formation, their relationship with Jesus Christ was the highest priority for them and their family. And they were strongly rooted in a community of faith. They had biblical community. They were in small groups. And not only that, they had great accountability. All of that was taking place. And the reason why is because they saw it in mom and dad. And so cultural discernment is simply this. It's a worldview. You were teaching your children a worldview already. The question is, is it, is it a biblical worldview? Because where we live in a day and age where there are no moral absolutes, we would say, no, there are moral absolutes. Marriage is defined by a man and a woman, not based off of my lack of love for someone else. I've had someone say it to me, you just aren't all loving. No, I love them very much. I love them so much that it's actually rooted deep within me. And it's very close to me in my own family. But the bottom line is there is an absolute truth found in God's word and my children will know it. What do we say about God? Is, is he all powerful? Can he do all things? Is he personal? Personable, yes, he is. Psalm 30, 139 shows that. Is Jesus Christ the only means of salvation? Yes, John 14, 6, 6 Jesus says it himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. 
is Jesus Christ sinless? Yes, Hebrews 4.15 says that. Are the principles taught in the Bible true and accurate? Absolutely. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 declare that. And so those are things that our children will know. And you go, well, how are you going to do this? What's the strategy? That is my strategy. Above all else, we're going to give them a connection with Jesus. We're going to discipline them with love. I, I don't yell at my kids. I don't scream at my kids. I cannot think of one instance in my house where I have lost self-control with my children. I may lose self-control with you if you ever call my child a pastor's kid. And the reason why is because pastors have done a very poor job at giving their kids biblical worldview, but this pastor won't. And you can take it to the bank. Matter of fact, about three months ago in our staff meeting, I said, if as our pastors, and I made it a mandate to our pastors, and may it be clear, may it be clear, and they're in here listening and they will see this on TV. If a year from now, we are not building faith formation in our house, if you watch television more than you study your Bible, you will not have a job here. Because it is very clear that Timothy is laid and outlined by Paul of what a pastor should be. And it says, this is sayings trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the officer of overseer, which we are designed as pastors and overseers, elders, leaders of our church, he desires a noble task. You better believe it. A hard one. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. All things that I've said here today, that there are things that I, I pray that they don't take over me. But he must manage his own house well. He must own and manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how in the world will he manage God's church? And you can take it to the bank that the men who know me closely, that if from nine months from now, I'm not managing my household well, and for that matter, better than I was a year prior, I will no longer be the pastor here. I will step down. Why? Because I'm that serious about it. It is more important than anything else I do. It is the difference between eternity for my five-year-old, my four-year-old, and my three-year-old. It is more important than anything else I do. And I'm very serious about it. So serious about it that I'm willing to put my job on the line. And so you hear that. Is this important? Yes, it's important. And I cannot in my mind or even in recent history know of any pastor in our nation that has stood up so boldly and said, if I'm not doing it, then I shouldn't be our pastor. And I believe that wholeheartedly. Don't, I, but yeah, don't worry about clapping for me because I'm like, Lord, I need your grace. And I need your wisdom, but I'll tell you this, it will not be for lack of effort and it will not be for lack of intentionality. Why? Because I cannot pastor or lead you if I'm not leading well at home. Amen? Amen. So um, let me pray for you, church. God, I love you and I thank you for today. And I pray, God, that we would be so intentional at home. 
that we would, we would love to see our children have a deep connection with you, that we would teach them to abide in you, to know you, uh, that we would lead them to love and, and serve you, have a biblical worldview, and to know that the highest importance of them being on planet earth is to know you and to abide in you and to have a strong faith in you. And Lord, I know that happens best at home and then as support with a vibrant faith community here at Stone Point Church. And so, Lord, may parents know today that we're here to partner with them, but we're not here to take the lead for them because we cannot do what they can with their children. And so, God, help us to be who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.